is Oliver. Is it the afternoon, Oliver? Uh, we're just creeping into the afternoon. It's just gone 12 o'clock. Is that coming? Yeah, yeah, afternoon? we're in afternoon now. When I answer the phone at work, I say afternoon as soon as it's gone past 12. Wow, you're so efficient. I am efficient. Some people, I love it when you ring somebody up and they're like, good morning, it's like 4 o'clock. Mm. <laughs> They've just been Sometimes I do that as well. Oh. Sometimes I'm guilty. So welcome to the Annie Oliver Show. Hello. This is the first live one we've actually managed to do in quite some time, yeah. isn't it? It's a bit naughty, but we're back on air, broadcasting from our lounge. I'm feeling a little bit bad for... S- Oliver and I just had another big... I was thinking about us as a community of two, actually. Mm. Like last week when I was rehearsing, <laughs> we're pre- pre- uh, revising, whatever you do for a show, preparing <laughs> for a show. I was thinking about uh, communication, I was thinking about us as a community of two, but we just had our uh, weekly meeting. Quite a long one today, I think we did about two hours. Well, we had to meet at nine, didn't yeah. we? Because we had a lot to discuss. We, we did have a lot to discuss. Flash I- flat issues, and work issues, and friendship issues. I mean, lots of, yeah. all, of our, combi- all of our different overlapping... Relationships. relationships but i guess i'm feeling a bit guilty for being really chirpy on the radio no, show come on, we've got to haven't we but i actually think that we resolved a lot yeah but one of the things we talked about which isn't actually related to today's theme was this idea of like when you live with someone you do get to see the darker side of them yeah and that that dark and then when you see them with other people who maybe don't know them as well and they're really acting in a really friendly way and like being really enthusiastic and nice and you just think god what a hypocrite. Sh- that's such a charade. I know. But it may link in later on to the topic. Why don't you introduce it? Yeah. And then let's see if we can find a way to talk about both of those issues in one. Because I can think of something that we could uh, lead into from okay. that, actually. I, I'll try not to be quite chirpy, but I'm a very up and down person, as you probably noticed. Oh, uh, we all. <laughs> um, so today's theme, I'm very excited to announce, was recommended by a very special woman in my life, Mrs. Anne Harrison, hey. my mother. Um, and it was really sweet because when I went back to London for only the second time this year and stayed at my mum and dad's house in, in, in uh, June, my, I found out that my mum had been listening to the radio show quite um, insidiously. No, oh. is that a word? I'm not sure. Insidiously. No, no I don't think it's a word. I don't know if word. that means what you want to I was just to trying me. to impress my mum with my vocabulary because <laughs> she used to be an English teacher, but that's obviously failed. Anyway, she'd been listening to the radio show quite emphatically. We should, we should point out it's not Ellie's mum's career as an English teacher that failed. It was just her influence on Ellie's English language. <laughs> English language skills. Oh, yes, no, sorry. She had quite a successful <laughs> career as a teacher in lots of further education establishments around the west of London. Um, but <laughs> that's another story. Anyway, she's an amazing woman, and I'd just like to give a big shout-out yeah, to her. Yeah, big shout-out to Anne Harrison. But and to Bernard Harrison. Yeah. The Harrisons in general. He listens to. And he's had quite... He had quite anyway, <laughs> I'm really going on now. <laughs> The fact is that she'd listened to the show and she'd come up with quite a few suggestions for other themes that we could have. 
And she was talking about the very specific type of noun that we use as titles. Because mm. she was talking about proper nouns, and this is why I'm really rubbish at English. Proper nouns is someone's name, like a Bernard, mm -hmm. for example. Aww. This is how we helped, helped learn it while <laughs> I was down there in June. And then there's the other types of nouns. Oh, what's this type? I can't remember. Please, can you phone in? Let's Something know. else. So th uh, I was, oh my Send God. a text in, Anne, if you're listening live. Is it a... Uh, <gasps> No, I'm not going to read three types myself. of nouns. Oh my god, I'm so stupid today. I think it's because I'm quite sleepy. Sorry. Anyway, one of the suggestions, cut a long story short, which really chimed with some other stuff that I thought uh, were talked about, was needs. Okay, mm. this does le link into her um, rather fruitful career in further education <laughs> because she used to be a communication <laughs> studies teacher, which was a subject which I rather cruelly referred to as a Mickey Mouse subject, but it was devised, I don't know, in the 60s and 70s, and she started teaching in the 70s, but in those days it was all a lot of critical theory and cultural theory, but one of the things they, she taught was Maslow's theory. Hi basic? Triangle of needs? Hierarchy of needs. Hierarchy of needs. And so she mentioned this to me at the breakfast table while we were discussing all possible themes, and I was like, I need to look that up. Yeah. And the reason I need to look it up was thinking back to previous shows, and specifically the one on values that we did, because mm -hmm. I was talking about socialism and this thing, the definition of socialism that I'd read, that I don't know how I could have got to the age that I am without really knowing what that word meant. But mm -hmm. sometimes when you're reminded of what these words mean, then it kind of all makes sense. But I defined it on the show as socialism is the collective ownership and control over all the things we need to live happily and well. And you came back to me and said, that's great, but what are those things that we need? Yeah, what are they? I mean, one of the things that I think is a really interesting question to consider during this show is actually how we identify things that are needs and how we identify things that are wants. Yeah. Because actually, I think we spend more time chasing things that we want rather than actually specifically identifying things that we need. Mm. And I think the chasing of wants is is generally quite a miserable quest. Yeah. Whereas needs, I think, can still be frustrating, but I think that the outcome is maybe a bit more fulfilling. Because I think needs suggest something that's a bit more... I don't know if you can say universal, but a little bit more... Um, well, let's say wants, I think, are a little bit more fleeting. Yeah. And a little bit more to do with the imagination leading us astray. Mm -hmm. I kind of think that might be actually Pascal again coming back in. I think that he thought that the problem with our imagination was that it just led us to think that we needed things. So we followed those rather than actually looking at more crucial aspects of life. Or I think he was saying that's why people, so many people went away from the church because they could imagine these other things that they could have rather than, yeah, being a good old Christian or something. Mm. Not quite sure of, of where he... But I think that that's where the wager begins, is this concern with uh, the human imagination leading people in different directions. Yeah. Um, which I think is to do with wants. Well, I mean, uh, one of the problems of, like... Um, progress, if you want to call it that, or, like... Um, rampant consumerism how that's developed over the last 50 years is people's conceptions of what they need 
evolves mm -hmm. away from the basic core needs of what you need to survive to having a mobile phone and to having a car and to having owning a flat and to like all of these other things that you think you need for social status. Well, this is, I think, right, before we, like so I said, what's the difference between wants and needs? But then also, our favourite um, internet resource yeah. this week also pointed out to me that when we're talking about needs, we need to make a distinction between objective needs and subjective needs. So objective needs are physical needs. Right. Subjective needs are psychological needs. And I think mm. it's the subjective needs that are more tricky because mm. they are harder to distinguish between whether they're a want or a need. Well, this is why I think the real problem, because I I looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs on the recommendation, recommendation of my mum. It's really interesting on Wikipedia, this little diagram that's drawn up. But well, this is why I find the real problem. is this desire... And how that fits into it, because desire is obviously a motivating force. Mm -hmm. And I suppose need and want are both motivating forces. But like desire in terms of how it fits into I'm pointing at the little pyramids. Mm -hmm. You really need if you really want to understand You can Wikipedia. Get on yeah. Wikipedia and get the little colourful pyramids. But the the way this is laid out like, you can see that things like relationships with other people, friendships, family, sexual intimacy, they're in the middle section, which comes under love and belonging. Mm -hmm. So, like, all of, as well as your physiological things, which are at the very bottom, and your safety, then you have love and belonging. But it's on that, it's on, I guess the thing is, is when you get to love and belonging, that is when your needs implicate other pe or implicate other people because yeah. that's when you've got friendship family sexual intimacy and you can't have any of that on your own but you can survive you can eat you can excrete well, <laughs> you can excrete on your own but you can't necessarily eat on your own unless you're foraging constantly like you are <laughs> bound up into other people providing that or you know in this in the situation that we live in now, it's not like we just go out and kill a buffalo or, like, find some berries or something. And even, actually, excretion yeah. nowadays, unless you're just going to go and have a poo in the garden and bury it over, you are still involved in a situation that requires the cooperation of other people to build the systems and to run the systems which kind of keep our excretions <laughs> tidied up. away. Yeah. Wow. What That's I thought so was more interesting, actually, because I was looking at the hier Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and then and then that led me on to Manfred Max Neef. Do you know him? He's no. a Chilean. Um, I think he's a philosopher, but it's difficult to tell these days. But he he readdressed the needs, and I think what's most important about the change in or his readdressing is the change in the visualization. So it's no longer in this. I watched this lecture from RSA, one of those videos the other day. And uh, one of the guys was talking about how for a really long time in humanity, we always used the tree as a metaphor mm -hmm. um, for, for displaying things like that. But actually now that we live in an age where things are a bit more rhizomatic, can we say that? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what uh, Manfred Max Neef's, or Neff's, no Neef's, uh, visualization is just a grid 
right. with like 50 different sections and they're like there's no real hierarchy between them they're sort of slightly more interchangeable yeah. and I think that that is more because I think the problem with the hierarchy of needs Maslow's hierarchy of needs is you look at the bottom things and you could tick 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 I've got those so I can move on to the next level yeah. and then once you can't get one of the ones on the level you think oh I can't progress progress onto the next level but actually there are things that may be in the other level that perhaps you do have because I think that that yeah. hierarchical one suggests that you need all the other ones as a base before you can begin to move on to yeah. self-actualization which is obviously the holy grail in the um, pinnacle in um, Maslow's hierarchy you're right Oliver um so yeah so I don't think necessarily it is just about looking and ticking in a, in a really like move up, move up one level, move up one level sort of way. Um, I think it's more about identifying different sections of it and then working towards what it is, how you can work towards those things. Yeah. Uh, in a much more web-like fashion, like you just move across. And you're still collecting them, but you're doing like lots of sideways moves instead. No, I think that's really. Re I think you're a very, very clever boy. Well, I, I think do try. You're a lot cleverer than me, which is. No, I don't know if that's true. Oh but no. what, I tell you what. The, the <laughs> I've lost all my self-confidence and self-esteem, Oliver. Oh my god! Well, you better move down the chart. Because <laughs> obviously life isn't really like a massive game of snakes and ladders. I wish I it was. Long, well, I think for a long time everyone thought it was, but actually, you know, maybe post-80s or something, and we're not really thinking about that anymore. Post-modernism. Yeah. Because I was going to blame the Rhizome on Deleuze and Guattari. I'm sure they had something to do with it. Yeah, no, I think, I think Guattari might be particularly responsible. But um, so... In a move towards thinking, because, you know, I mentioned, like, because I think it would be much more healthy for me to try and distinguish what I need mm -hmm. from what I want. And uh, so I think at the moment what I actually need uh, is to listen more and to pay attention more. Right. Whereas what I want all the time, I think, is for people to listen to me and for people to pay attention to me. Right. But that... Is that's like one of those fruitless wants, really, because it's a game in which once you start, it's never enough. And once yeah. some people listen, you think, well, why isn't X, Y, and Z listening? And like, what can I do to do that? Whereas actually, I think a more positive life is one. I've got this quote from uh, Erasmus. Yeah. Uh, that says, "To know nothing is the happiest life," which is obviously in a, a, a tradition of lots of philosophers. But I was thinking that that's. I'd like to make an adjustment to that, where we actually say to live as if you're never sure that you know anything would increase a, would increase your happiness would make for a happier life because i think that that promotes outward curiosity mm -hmm. and i actually think curiosity is a path to continual fulfillment because instead of ever feeling like you knew something in there you froze your thinking and became like more judgmental or more fixed in your opinions you're yeah. always sort of wondering if there is something else that you can learn and and that calls for more communication with people and more listening. Yeah, and I know know that you're saying that all to me because we were talking earlier. No, because I I'm really like taking it on board because we were talking earlier about how like everything in my life is so structured and I have such a strict routine. And because I think that I make everything so efficient, and everything works so perfectly that that is the right way to do it. That is actually closing down so many possibilities and so many options for like change spontaneity engaging with other people having meaningful <laughs> relationships with other people 
And I don't realise that I'm doing it, but actually in my head I think I am doing it. And that's actually shutting off so many of the yep. the basic but human I needs. Know, I think we're probably all, I think everybody's probably guilty of losing curiosity. Yeah. And actually I'm sure that in some of these kind of uh, happiness surveys that have been done, I'm sure that, well, learning was one of the things that you talked about from NEF the other week, right? And, yeah. And learning is obviously part of curiosity. And so, and and I would say that I am not a particularly curious person either. But in a different way, I still get, still get fixed. And but I, I mean, and I think maybe it's because you grow up learning the lesson that curiosity killed the cat. And so you, it's like as if from, from the a very young found. age, people are saying, "No, don't be curious." And it's actually like, I mean, there are reasons why we wouldn't. I, I read my favorite thing that I read this week was Francis Bacon. The philosopher, not the painter. Oh, I hate that painter. Do you know? Do you know how Francis Bacon, the philosopher, died? Uh, yes, I do. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? So to do with freezing a. He caught duck? bronchitis while stuffing a chicken with that's snow. It. Yeah. To try and experiment with refrigeration, but yeah. that, I think that that's a beautiful and noble death. Like yeah. it's it's kind of kooky, but, but it's also like at least it was a curious death. You ought to, in my defence, I am. Uh, continually prepared to challenge myself to do new things. Because look at me at roller derby, age 32, yeah. going and training. Now I'm a qualified roller girl, as you will see from my <laughs> photograph this week. Um, but we yes. must do a song. Let's because do a song. We've talked for 17 minutes. Oh, my Lord. Um, I just wanted to read these little questions that Socrates apparently used to go around scurrying oh. about with his beards in like ancient Athens because he's the perfect person who you know he he Mm -hmm. kind of was continually like self-deprecating in a way and continually you know never he never admitted that he knew anything but actually was the most intelligent person in the universe apparently (laughs) in Athens that's what the oracle said he used to say to people stop them and say where are you hurrying to what are you seeking in life what are your values? Just to be stopped, like this whole idea of hurrying anyway, because everyone's in a fucking hurry, but nobody actually knows what they want or what they're doing, and they're just doing that because they've been programmed to do that. Yeah. Like, And it's really stopping and listening and thinking, which is important. But shall I play my song, Oliver? Play a song, let's listen to it. Let's listen to it because I'm this is a song you've chosen. that I actually really like it, but... It's a very well-known song, and it's probably really cheesy. Well, it is very cheesy, and you probably won't like it. (laughs) But it's from the 60s. I went to a secular first school in Ealing, uh, Compton First School, but we weren't allowed to sing any hymns or anything. So we used to sing pop songs from the 60s, and we used to learn all the words. And we learned uh, Downtown by... Petula Clark. Yeah, I love and that all song. Sorts. And then lots song. of like, different multicultural songs as well. Like, we did quite a lot of Jamaican songs and things. Now all these random words to songs. Anyway, we sung this, like, Beatles song, Get By With A Little Help From Your Friends. That's a nice song. So I wanted to play it just as a reminder of that time in my life, but also a reminder of how important other people are. Yeah. And that we should value them a hell of a lot more. <laughs>
again. I actually normally had a little cry during that song. Oh, no, it was nice, but I think it's like the problem is, and I think that the, the thing that is sad about it and that we'll probably talk about a little bit more is like this sentence, I just need somebody to love. There's this idea of need. Mm-hmm. And right, so all of, the, all of the charts that we've looked at suggest that affection, human intimacy, these things are really important. But I wonder whether one of the problems with like chasing that and chasing love is that it you begin to sort of form a very abstract concept of what this love situation is. Yeah. And then actually, rather than it being a need, I think it becomes a want because what you're looking for is somebody to fulfill this the abstract uh, structure that you've built up in your yeah. mind. So actually, like what you're doing when you want something is instead of like having a dialogue, it's yeah. kind of like having a monologue where someone has to fit into that pre-scripted role that you've Cause what you're built for them. Yeah, and what you're imagining is a... It's a conceptual thing, because actually, I think that this thing that... It's, this is why I mentioned desire earlier, because it's a basic human instinct. It's obviously a basic human instinct, as Maslow may mm -hmm. have referred to, sex and sexual intimacy. Yeah. Like, there's something inherent in our genes, or whatever you want to call us, that makes us strive towards that. But what you're confusing with this idea of like over-obsessing about it and fantasizing about it is that you're thinking that this thing you want is going to fulfill you in some sort of... Uh, what's that word? Like concept cerebral. Way. Like it's mm -hmm. not a thing of the mind. It's a thing of the body. Yeah. 
And that's what you kind of forget. But I think that it's that a physiological is thing. That's like, very. And it's about the experience, about physiological experience. That's what you actually want. Yeah. Rather than this whole fantasy that is like. I think the drive, though, is more like a vitamin deficiency. And you know, when you're missing a vitamin, yeah. your body makes you feel like you're hungry for a certain yeah. thing so that you eat it. Because actually, didn't we read? I mean, I definitely did read a couple of weeks ago that they did tests on lonely people. Yeah. And their count of white blood cells or something is lower than people who who don't identify as lonely like so it is actually like a, a very physical bodily health wow. effect but the other, the other thing that you know just then when you said the word human mm-hmm. every time i've used the word human recently because you know i was reading some foucault last week right. having a little dabble into foucault and so whenever i say the word i suddenly become really paranoid because obviously like one of the central foucault vibes is that human the, the concept of human only became invented in like the 1700s right. or 17th century. Yeah, so actually, like, all of these things that we refer to as human, it, it's begin to make me feel a bit more suspicious about... Um, but when I say the word human, because I do use that a lot because I'm trying to understand myself, and whenever I say to people, but you do that because you're a human, I'm actually using that word as though to remind them that they're an animal. Yeah. And that beha- that, that, that human is actually, you know, it, it's an animal... <laughs> This is a species of animal, and that you're behaving in that way because there's some animal instinct that's making you behave in that but way. Is it better to say organism I rather than anything? Because even it, even animal, by saying animal, you it's like it's as if you're referring again back to that system of like classification. Yeah. Uh, that helps people understand people in a certain way, and if there's people outside of that, then they can't be included in that. Maybe organism structure. Organism sounds better. very, very scientific and very information based, and it always worries me that the only way that the only possible way to begin talking about people properly is to talk about them as if they're just information or as if they're just. Well, there was something on the radio this week about how really we're just completely controlled by electronic currents because everything, all the neurons, the ions yeah. that, stru- that that make us do anything or any of our body functions or anything in our thought processes, are these ions moving around? Yeah, it's just... It's electronic current, which is basically means we're just machines. But this does make sense, you know, because when you think about Thomas Hobbes saying a similar thing, right, that humans are just machines, but obviously pre-understanding how the body worked, he thought that it was like animal spirits yeah. or spirits that were doing all of these things. But actually, it, if anything, it just kind of strengthens his view. And the, the problem with Hobbes's view is that he couldn't really explain it clearly at the time yeah. because he was at such a basic time of understanding the way the body works. But now we can look at it and think, like, yeah, actually, it is just like that. And maybe the brain is just like that as well. Yeah. I, I mean, even consciousness, I don't really... Because consciousness, the way they explain it when I was reading it, it's just like the act of synthesizing all these random thoughts that we have floating around. Um we better play we should right okay so the thing that because i was interested in making a distinction between needs and wants yeah. i mean obviously we haven't really made that distinction but i think it's good for people to consider one of the things i thought about the most actually is yeah wanting what i think i really want all the time is a relationship and like maybe my body needs that as well because it's a machine or you know it needs certain kind of vitamins if you like but the problem with love or wanting love is that if you begin to make it an abstract thing or, you know, you begin to decide what that is without being curious about what it might mean to other people, mm. like, um, I think that the best way to find it probably is to 
not, well, this is like age-old wisdom, but just to let go of of wanting it and to acknowledge that you need it, but that you're not going to find it by kind of cutting and slashing your way through the world or like, you know, trying to force it onto people. And actually, so in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, I've just gone back to just reading, doing my studio life and just like, and getting on with those things because the other things like finding somebody else, you don't really, you can't really have any control of it. You could do yeah. things to try, but I think, you know, that advice that you were given that you've got to go Sarah. out. Sarah. Yeah. Sarah Haggerty. She's a very Shout wise out. woman in Cork. Um, yeah, she just so said, go out. You'll find someone, but you've got to go out. Yeah. You've got to leave the house. And so I've chosen a song. It was originally by Daniel Johnson, but his songs are sometimes a little bit tricky to enjoy because he's got quite an idiosyncratic performance style. So this is a cover by Beck, and um, it's called True Love Will Find You in the End. It's probably a really nice way to end the show. Okay. Quite a beautiful song.
Don't be sad, I know you will Don't give up until True love finds you in 